Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the big podcast. I'm your host, the commish, Alec Fultz, alongside Drew McCullough. Justin Wolf. Today we have a very special guest. Cameron Mathis is on the show. Cameron, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? I'm glad to be on. Glad that we could uh, get you on. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the MLB. We'll talk about some of our favorite uh, professional sports teams and sports to watch. Then we'll get into the NFL draft. We'll talk a little bit about quarterbacks. We'll give an update on the golf outing between uh, me, Vic, and Drew. And then we'll get into Cameron's fantasy history. So let's go ahead and let's start off with the MLB starting this, this year. Um, Cam, I was just curious. Like, I'm try- I know you're a Rays fan, but are you also a Reds fan as well? Yeah, it's kind of – I consider it like an NL team, an AL team thing. I don't know. I've really – I've paid more attention and focused more on the Reds the past couple of years than anything else, which is kind of unfortunate because it seems like the Rays have had a very success that we've been yeah. Um, But, yeah, I like both teams. Both teams, you know, when I was, like, a kid, both teams were atrocious and terrible, so it was a funny fandom. I'm yeah. hoping eventually I start looking like a bandwagon fan, but I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon, so – I think we could probably say that Downing pulled a you because you were the first Rays fan that I knew of. And then I remember recently Austin would take vacations down to Tampa. And then all of a sudden he started claiming to be a Tampa Bay Rays fan. as like his secondary team. And, uh, but you were the original of that. You were the first one. Is that kind of why you got into the Rays back then? Yeah, We went to, we went on vacation down close to Tampa, like every year. And we would go to a Rays game during the summer. And it was kind of like, be a somewhat of a Rays fan or um, just watch the Phillies beat the Rays or watch. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a forced fandom in a way. Like, I don't yeah. Know. I feel like that's a lot of fandoms. Drew, uh, how are you feeling about this year's season for the Cincinnati Reds? I know a lot. Of, so me and Drew are Reds fans and then we'll get to Justin being the Red, Red Sox fan, but uh-huh. <laughs> uh, being a Reds fan is awesome. The beginning, I mean, obviously the first opening day, opening inning was kind of a struggle to watch, watch Castellano, or not Castellano, watch Castilla kind of struggle through. And that, that game was kind of a blimp in the radar of the Reds coming off to a hot start, especially 
with their offense. And Nick Castellanos is, he could probably retire right now. And I think he's going to have a legacy at, with the Cincinnati Reds forever just because oh. of this hot start and the, the absolute, you know, ship flexing on, showing up the Cardinals. And even tonight's game against the Pirates hits that home run and he just starts barking at the dugout. Like, I love it. He brings a much needed swagger that the Reds have needed. Like, I think he's kind of bringing a swagger to the Reds that Burrow has kind of brought to the Bengals a little bit. And I feel like in Cincinnati, you need a little bit of that because, you know, we're just a Midwest team, like kind of average. Uh, so we need a little bit of that spark. Uh, Justin, how are you going to hang in there this season? How are you going to get through uh, this season as a Red Sox fan? Yeah, I, the Red Sox will be fine. They uh, they just had a bad start. There will be a perfectly mediocre 500, maybe 83-win team this year. But, Drew, Drew, you laugh at me being a Red Sox fan. Like, I haven't watched my team win four World Series since 2004, So, and the Reds haven't won a playoff series. So It was mostly uh, laughing at the fact that I, I feel like the Orioles just look like a powerhouse all of a sudden. No, they're bad. Out of nowhere. And so, are, and so are the Red Sox. So, um, you know, that's what that's what happens when you um, – I, I said this in our baseball group, but uh, when you – of all teams, the Red Sox should know what happens when you, when you trade a, a superstar franchise player uh, and the curse that comes with it. Um, they apparently didn't learn their lesson when they traded Babe Ruth. So uh, they, get to, they get to learn another lesson when they trade, traded Mookie. Justin, you've had a, quite the struggle because you had the greatest football player of all time, Tom Brady, leave Boston, win the Super Bowl. Then you have one of the best baseball players in the league, Mookie Betts, goes to Los Angeles, wins the World Series. How How's the uh, morale of the Boston fans right now? Well, listen, I can't really complain. I've seen the Patriots win six Super Bowls and go to nine. I've seen the – well, go to ten, but that first one I was like three years old for. Um, but, um, then the Red Sox have won four world series, the Celtics have won, the Bruins have won. So I can't really complain, but yeah, that was a rough, like 30 day stretch of, uh, Mookie getting traded and, and Brady leaving and then winning a Super Bowl. So that was pretty rough. It's been rough, rough, uh, go at it for Boston fans, but I feel like you guys deserve it. You guys had enough, enough fun. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, and we'll start with Cameron. But what are your favorite sports to watch? Because I was thinking about this today. As baseball is coming on, I've been really excited, and like even more excited to watch the Reds game than the NCAA national championship. And uh, I was just curious, like if you had to rank your favorite sports to watch, what would it be? So, what about you, Cam? What do you think? Um, I think there's a clear bottom for me, and it's kind of out of nowhere. I feel like it's happened over the last three or four years. But I think watching college basketball is borderline intolerable right now. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. I have honestly probably watched a total of maybe three games throughout March Madness, which I think is like a 13-year-old I was watching like all day long through the entire month, every single game. I have grown to despise college basketball. Um, I think part of that's that I don't have a team necessarily in college basketball, like there's just no, there's no sort of connection with me in any um, organization. But favorites, I, I would go back and forth. I grew up more so on the baseball side of it, but I am starting to enjoy the NFL a lot more. Um, it's probably a close tie. I'd probably still give the edge to baseball at this point, but 
I definitely think watching the NFL is something that I've definitely enjoyed more over the last several years. I think being a Bengals fan right now is, even though it's painful, it's kind of exciting. We feel like there's some, maybe some hope on the horizon. Definitely. Um, it just kind of seems like we're going into probably another era of mediocrity, but that's <laughs> what we have now. It's not hard to give us a little bit of hope. Like we've, we've been so desperate that like any sliver, it's just like, we eat it up, man. So yeah, like we, I think we all are living in an era of PTSD. I think yeah. we can all, I don't know if Drew, if you're a Bengals fan or not. I don't think you are. Are you? You're a mostly Packers, Packers, but like as of recently, like as of the past, like three years or so, I've, grown to like the Bengals more and start rooting for them and now I'm like getting more of like an actual invested interest like when I watch them I actually like kind of have that emotional tie to like want them to win and when they do good if like it gets more you know blood pumping so I didn't grow up the biggest Bengals fans but I'm growing to be in with that with the fact of the Packers being an NFC and the Bengals being the AFC I got you that makes sense but I um I think, well, I might just be speaking to Alec then. Like, I will forever have the PTSD of watching Carson Palmer go down against the Steelers. Like, that's something that will always be in my head. And I can't help myself with all these hypotheticals of, oh, if Carson Palmer wouldn't have got hurt. He was a different player afterwards. Mm-hmm. It would have been a different time to be a Bengals fan. But I don't know. I, I probably watch more NFL comparatively than anything else right now, I would say. Yeah, not only uh, the Carson Palmer, but also like a couple of years ago with the Pittsburgh game when Burr fixed penalty and the Jeremy Hill fumble. Like that one felt like – I remember – so I was at a – we had a winter retreat uh, with it was the youth group and I was helping out at the time and we were watching it on like the big screen and yeah. Kyle Duff was streaming it on his phone and like – it was right when they got like the pick or something happened and like, it was like a big moment. And like, we, we won the game, we won the game. And then uh, Kyle's dad calls him and says, Hey, like you're burning all our data. So he turns it off. We're like, wait, we can't watch the game. So we are scrambling, trying to figure out how to watch it. We turn it back on and like all that we missed, all that happened. We, we had to kind of like read through Twitter and stuff that uh, the meltdown, but that was just brutal. It's always the Steelers. Always the Steelers. Always. Drew, what- <laughs> Drew, what would you say your power ranking of sports that you like to watch most? So, honestly, because of fantasy, I think NFL is the most, like, steady. Like, I watch any game and had the most steady sort of invested interest in it. Um, and then when it comes to watching favorite teams, it really is close between with the Packers, the Reds, and even though, like, I completely agree with college basketball – when it's bad, it's 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 like watching T-ball, like as a baseball fan, watching T-ball <laughs> versus watching bad college basketball, because the the bumbleness of being looking disorganized and not making shots and stuff, it looks so awful. But I am a Michigan basketball fan, and it is really exciting when they get deep into the tournament. Like when anybody who has a team gets deep into a tournament in every game. Like once you get like into the sweet 16 elite eight final fours, those games get so emotionally invested because I feel like that tournament just kind of drives that. So that is probably the highest peak of watching. And again, this is also 
coming from a Michigan football fan who doesn't know what the hell a peak looks like watching that, that, you know, era of it. But at this moment, like watching Castellanos hit home runs and then get pumped and yell about it, that gets me jacked up. Just like, you know, a couple of years ago when Jordan Poole hit the game winning three, three pointer against Houston in the lead eight or whenever that was. Cause I think funny story when that, that game happened, I was at Vicks bar and when that shot went in, I think TJ was in my ear the whole night, just kind of chirping, like giving me a little bit of shit. But we're in the middle of a crowded bar. And once that shot went in, I immediately just punched him in the chest because I was so excited. And like, like he strategy. just kind of – he ate it, though, because I'm, I'm kind of a, a weakling. But I just – I got pumped and punched him in the chest and yelled in the middle of the bar. And, like, nobody there was a Michigan fan. So it just looked ridiculous, but – so you're saying it would be – so you're saying NFL, MLB is close, and then probably college basketball right after that? I would say at this moment, MLB and college basketball have the highest peaks, but college basketball definitely has the lowest lows. Okay. Justin, where are you at with uh, sports? Um, they all kind of have an equal share for me between football, basketball, and baseball. Um when baseball is pretty bad when your team is bad. So like the last two years of like the Red Sox have been pretty brutal to watch. Uh, and I don't make it appointment viewing like you do when the team's good, obviously, but um, baseball is pretty bad to watch when your team is bad. Um, but there's nothing better than when your baseball team is good and playoff baseball comes and you're living and dying by every pitch. Um, there's nothing better than playoff baseball. Um, but I think it's pretty all equal uh, between football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, I feel like of a lot me. of like our friends, I feel like you're more NBA heavy than most. I know like you I, and Chris and Derek, I feel like are pretty high in NBA. Yeah, out, yeah, out of the out of the league for sure. It's definitely me, Chris, and Derek. Um, I love the NBA. Um, that's pretty bad when if your favorite team's bad as well, but. Um, but yeah, football I think is the easiest to consume um, and to follow for your team because there's only 16 now 17 games, um, and it's once a week. You know, baseball is 162 over like what 185 days or something like that. So that one's hard to follow every single night. Uh, basketball is the same way with 82 and like 100 days or something like that. Um, but I think they're all pretty equal for me. I'll I'll watch them at any time. And then hockey, I really like as well. Um, but college yeah. basketball is definitely last for me. I like the other night was a lot of fun. Um, that was one of the best college basketball games of all time, but gosh, it's, it's such a bad product. And, it can get messy. Uh, I just, I just can't stand it. Yeah. I think for me, I think NFL and college football are up top for me. And, um, I don't know. I think what you said was, I just love football. I've always loved football. I played it, um, you know, playing it even at the college level and then now coaching it. I, you know, I like watching the strategic parts of it, but then also fantasy has been a big part of like, I'm invested in every game, like Drew said. Um, and I think that like, it's fun, like with our friend group and during football season, I feel like the intensity of like the trash talk and stuff with like our friends really kicks up during football season, just because of fantasy and stuff. Um, but then baseball is probably after football is my favorite. Um, 
And I think it's because I'm invested in the Reds. And I think the reason why I'm not as invested in the NBA, I, I think I would be more invested, but I just don't have a team. And I think if Cincinnati had an NBA team, I would be more into it. But like, I've kind of gone back and forth. Like there's a period where I like the Pacers and then I like the, the Cavs when LeBron came back. And then after LeBron left, I'm just like, okay, like I just, I have a hard time, like just picking a player and following them. I think I enjoy with sports, with, like following a team and like watching the moves that the, those teams make and like the draft and things like that. So I don't know. That's why I think I struggle with NBA, but um, football, I, I love it. You know, especially with the draft coming up, I can eat all that stuff up, which leads to our next topic, which is the NFL draft. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, it's looking like there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken at the top. And I know I've talked to Justin and Drew about this and they've kind of had some differing opinions on who should be at the top. So Cam, I want to get your opinion. Just who are some quarterbacks that who do you think should maybe be like some of the top quarterbacks taken? I mean, I think number one should be Trevor Lawrence, right? Like that's a consensus opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, after that, I think you, honestly, I think it gets really hard. I think that you have a group of guys that are good or have potential. One of the two. I think you have to go with Wilson right now if you're the Jets. You're kind of cornered into that, especially after the trade today. A uh, high potential player, I think, absolutely. I just don't know where his floor is at. And then yeah. kind of that same argument, what really intrigues me about Mac Jones is I think Mac Jones is like, we're talking low ceiling, but the floor is pretty high. Like, I think we've seen what Mac Jones is. Mm-hmm. He's serviceable. He's. I think he's an NFL starter across the board. Um, the one that throws me, well, two, one more so than the other is the Lance. I I have no idea how good I think Lance is going to be. I, I am going to be honest and say I have never watched a North Dakota State game in my entire life. Fair. <laughs> I am, like, basing this off of Twitter videos of – his highlights or his mess ups. I, I see the draw of a high potential player, super athletic guy. Like uh, PFF put out an article today that was said that Trey Lance coming into the league would probably be the second or third most athletic quarterback at the position, like day one in the league, which is that has value inherently. Justin Fields is another one. He's just, it's interesting because Justin Fields tore it up in college there's the like old adage of Ohio State quarterbacks that I don't necessarily think rings it. While it's a true statement, I don't know if it's necessarily a fair statement to what Josh Fields does. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to power rank them, I think I would obviously go Lawrence at one. Two, I would probably go Wilson. And then three is interesting to me because I think the 49ers are in a weird situation. So I'm not necessarily going to say who I think that they should pick, but I think three, I'm still, I would go fields. And then four, I might honestly put Mac Jones just above Trey Lance on the fact that his floor is, I would say higher than what Mac or what Trey Lance's could be. And yeah. then Trey, but I think they're all have the potential to be great NFL quarterbacks. Like I said, Mac Jones probably has the lowest ceiling out of the crew, but 
I think they're good. I think this is a great class. I think we're going to see a lot of quarterbacks taken. I wouldn't be shocked to see all five of them come off in the top ten in this draft. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely agree. I think your power rankings is very similar to mine. Um, I, I think I, I, I go Lawrence, and I think I go Fields and then Wilson, but I've been going back and forth between Fields and Wilson a lot. And then I think I would go Lance just because I think I want the upside. If I'm at the top of the draft, I think I want to take like a home run swing rather than like try to hit a, a single. And then Mac Jones would be – I think you, you made a good point with that. Um, but talking to Drew and Justin, I feel like they have a really big discrepancy between Justin Fields, I feel like. Or I feel like Justin – it's kind of similar to what I feel like. I feel like he, he might be the second best in the class. Drew is a little bit more down on him. So I wanted to let you guys have the opportunity to kind of air it out a little bit since uh, I've only got to hear you guys talk about it through text. So Justin, you want to kind of make your case for Justin Fields? Uh, yeah, I have uh, I'll, just real quick. I have Lawrence Fields. Uh, I have Lance Wilson, Mac Jones. Um I agree. Cameron said perfectly of Mac Jones ceiling. I don't think is very high, but I think his floor is uh, where he'll stay. I think he's Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo Garoppolo um, in the NFL. Um, I just think Fields and Lance's upside is just way too high. I, I love Justin Fields. I think, um, I think a pro day is a pro day and Wilson had a, had a good one as well, but like just the throws that, Fields is making. I mean, he he's got one of the prettiest deep balls in the entire uh, draft class. It's better than Lawrence. It's better than Wilson. It's better than uh, Trey Lance. So uh, I just I just love what Fields can bring. He's super athletic. He runs like the fastest forty a quarterback has run. Uh, he's six three. Uh, I I just love Fields. Drew, make your. Uh, I feel like you've been kind of anti Fields, so I wanted you to kind of give your your take so yeah so as alec mentioned we have been kind of mostly talking about this through text and i feel like the consensus has been that i hate fields which isn't the case but it is more of a situation of i see i see obvious negatives with him whereas with other guys i see things that i like more and it's not an ohio state thing so before anybody says that, I want that to be. That clear. was the first thing I'm thinking is you hate him because of Ohio right. State. But so my when I look at the uh, quarterbacks, and this is the first year that I've done this, and so I, I think I've also stated this first time ever really diving into this. I'm well ready to be completely wrong about all of this, and then next year just have to completely change how I view this or how I look at prospects, whatever, and make an opinion. But my rankings would go Lawrence, Wilson, then I put Trey Lance, and then I have a quarterback from Texas A&M named Kellen Mond as four, which he's off the radar, so I understand not even talking about him. But then I put Fields and then Mac Jones. So the whole idea about Fields is I, I see that he is a physical freak. He's fast. He's strong. He's big. He runs way better than anybody of these quarterbacks. His deep ball is really good, if not the best. And he's also probably right on par with being as accurate as anybody with deep balls. The only thing with it is, is he is a strider type of thrower and he needs to be in time. And when I say that, 
it means that his lower body and his upper body need to be like in sync to make a throw. And that's every single throw that's deep balls. That's uh, intermediate. That's short. And especially with short ones, a lot of those are checkdowns, which that's a whole nother thing that analysts are going into that. He just didn't show on tape, which doesn't mean he can't do it, but he just didn't show it. So it's kind of hard to, you know, anticipate that he's going to be able to make the jump to do it at an NFL level if he just didn't do it at a college level. But when it comes to checkdowns and stuff, if he is going through those progressions and he locks on and it gets too late to where now he has pressure, the pocket is not wide open set up for him to step into every throw. And so when he has to make upper body throws, he gets inaccurate. And I see that all the time. And there's multiple times, multiple games where when he does those checkdowns and he throws to guys crossing or whatever, like, and there's pressure. If he throws just upper body, it goes high, which usually ends up getting tipped or goes over and those create interceptions and problems. So I feel like he was lucky with his interception stats in college. Now, the whole Fields versus Mac Jones for the 49ers debate, I feel like it's completely two ends of the spectrum of what kind of quarterback they're going after. But I don't think that it's ridiculous if the 49ers want Mac Jones. I don't think it's ridiculous if the 49ers want fields. I think fields will be more of a project to get his footwork at an NFL level to be able to handle all types of pressure and all types of basically the situation of being able to throw uh, to come back in games. Like, I just kind of – his type of quarterback usually doesn't get to that. It's one of those like kind of Lamar Jackson where his athleticism runs the offense, and as it's going, nobody can stop it. But when it does get, you know, hindered and he has to start like winning, coming back in games with his arm, like I don't know if it would be able to be successful at an NFL level. And so Trey Lance I think is – the third best because I feel like the types of uh, plays that he did run at North uh, Dakota state were more pro style. They were rollouts. He was going through progressions, but his big fault is he's just kind of inaccurate. And so every, so Lawrence and Wilson to me are locks. Everybody after that, I could argue that you could put at three, put at four and like, it's just, it's what, what's your flavor. Yeah, I think a couple points you made. I just feel like for the 49ers, I just don't know why you would trade up to three and just take a quarterback that's basically what you already have in Garoppolo. Like, I feel like I don't really know how much better Mac Jones makes them than Garoppolo, in my opinion. Um, the other point that I think I like that you made, um, even though I feel like right now I'm slightly higher on home fields, dude, like Zach Wilson just throws beautiful balls on like crazy, like weird flat platforms. Like, I don't know. Like, even like the throw that the, the pro day throw that he made, um, people were kind of comparing that to what Justin Fields did. But I mean, the flick of the wrist, like across the body, like the, going the opposite direction, it's just like a natural freak throw. I think. And, and one of the things that, um, when talking about Fields needs his lower body to throw, one of the big differences with the Fields throw versus the Wilson throw, and you, if you go back and watch the tape, you'll see it. Wilson starts the majority of his throws from his hips, which like 
in doing so, basically, you don't need the feet placement, whatever. Like, you get the torque from the hips. When Fields makes his throw, he pushes off his right foot every single time he runs uh, on the on the run. And it's kind of like a shortstop coming in and, like, fielding a ground ball, making a throw on the run. Almost every single time they throw off of that right foot to, like, kind of set their base to then get their hips in position to throw. Like, even though he's on the run, that is a set base throw. Wilson doesn't do that. Wilson throws from his hips, and it's, like, short passes, it's intermediate passes, and he's just accurate with it. Justin, I want to give you a little bit of a rebuttal before we move on. It's, it's not a, it's not so much a rebuttal. Like, I understand what Drew is seeing and saying, but I just – there was one message where he just – he said, like, he doesn't feel like Fields is that – uh, accurate when he completed like I think it was 67 and 70 percent of his passes in college and then he what it was like a 41 to th- was it 41 to 3 his junior year touchdown to interception ratio yeah uh, I was a little bit different this year obviously um, but like I I don't I don't know I just don't he's one of the he like I said he has the best deep ball he had the best deep ball accuracy in college the last two years um, and I don't know, like those throws that Wilson that gets compared to Mahomes and Rogers. Yeah. Those are like really sexy throws. And they're, I just don't think that's all it takes to be a quarterback. And I, Wilson has been good one year and you can say the same thing for Lance, but Wilson had played for, this was his third year. He was not good. in the first two, you can say it was injuries. You can say what whatever you want, but I, I just didn't see it. And this year he was good, but he didn't play anyone. And when they said they wanted to play somebody, they backed out. But uh, I I don't know. Just I, what I see in fields and what just anything I read on the guy, it's just all positive. Um, I don't know. I just I like fields the best. I think the 49ers would be crazy to uh, pass on him uh, for Mac Jones. The 49ers are in such a weird spot because you have Jimmy G, who's a capable quarterback. He's not going to do anything special. He's not a necessarily like a sexy arm talent. But they kind of have to swing for the fences here. They've kind of cornered themselves. They have to evaluate who they think is the highest potential, most likely to be a home run player. I think that while when we say highest potential, we think of Lance in this draft. I think very likely the highest potential player still left on the board is Fields. Mm-hmm. If it works out, Fields could be great. Oh, I, I just think about, like, he brings a dynamic to that offense. Like, I mean, Shanahan, that offense, they can run the ball so well. Like, imagine being able to, like, incorporate Fields running it in that offense. Like, that just takes that scheme to a different level that I think Mac Jones and some of the other quarterbacks couldn't take. Um, I've, I have another thought. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that before we get to the next part? So the whole idea about putting fields into the 49ers system and that being like viewed as such a great thing. And I mean, part of this is like hearing from other analysts and stuff like that. But like, if you think about it, so RG three was in Shanahan's offense, not by choice. He had to adapt his offense to it. And I think Shanahan's a great offensive mind to where he can adapt to like add in wrinkles like that. But his best years of having a productive, a top of the NFL ranked offense 
they are with, you know, Kirk Cousins and they're with Matt Ryan who are more pocket passers. And so when it comes to this whole idea of like, you know, Fields would be such a weapon, you can have his legs as well as his arm. Like, I don't, I mean, the reason that if the 49ers choose Mac Jones, I'm not going to scoff much at it is probably because it is so opinion based of what they think they need, what they want. It's not like one of those where you can take fields and hopefully you can make fields as arm and decision-making and uh, ability to process defenses. You, it's, it's not like it's a guarantee to be able to make that on the level of whatever, like they, if they think Mac Jones is on a superior level, which I don't know why, you know, anybody is immediately saying that. I think people are saying that just cause he's not athletic, but if the if he really is that great at processing defenses and making decisions, I don't think it's a guarantee that you can make that out of fields. And so if they choose Mac Jones, it's probably because they value something more than just pure athleticism. But I don't think real quick, Alec, the, yeah. I don't think that the scoff wouldn't come so much as the pick of Mac Jones. It's the fact that they traded all the way up to three when Again, NFL teams don't always have the same uh, board as um, even like the high end, like McShay, Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah type people. But to jump all the way to three when I to get a guy that should be there no later than maybe eight, nine, ten, even where you're at at twelve, is the reason that people are going to end up laughing at it. And it's not so much the pick itself; it's jumping all the way up there and, and taking him over guys like Fields and Lance who have, again, in my opinion, higher upside. Um, I agree. Shanahan, I mean, Shanahan had a really good year with RG3, obviously one rookie of the year, but the Shanahans didn't even want RG3. They wanted Kirk Cousins. Um, yep. That's why they drafted two quarterbacks that year. Um, so I get what you're saying when Mac I kind of fits that mold. Like the 49ers – um, don't get enough credit for not taking Mahomes or Watson. Not they don't get enough uh, criticism, criticism yeah. for not taking Mahomes or Watson and seventeen. But um, they all reports were like they didn't even really scout any quarterbacks because they wanted to wait and uh, sign Kirk Cousins in free agency. But then they ended up trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. So I get it. They have a, they have a mold. He won an MVP with Matt Ryan. He was really good with Kirk Cousins, or Kirk was really good in that system. They wanted him back. Um, but, again, the scoff wouldn't be so much at Mac Jones. It would be that they traded all the way up to three when they probably could have given up less and taken him at maybe they trade up with the Bengals at five where they trade up into the to Lions at seven or the Dal- or, uh, who was there at the time, Eagles at six, um, and I'm getting them. But again, on the flip side of that is like if you truly believe Mac Jones is your guy, give up what you can and go get him. But I, again, if people laugh, it's not because it's Mac Jones necessarily. It's that they moved all the way up to three um, to get him instead of just waiting. Yeah. yeah. Good. I was going to say, so, I mean, we, we play fantasy football, so I feel like we kind of have the mindset of being able to try to wait and let it come to you sort of idea. And I think, I mean, you mentioned that at the end there of if you think he's the guy, go for it. And not only that, but this is a decision that is worth at the very minimum, like $20, $30 million 
of what that rookie is going to cost you to come in. Like these are decisions that, you know, you do not try to take chances with. You try to be the aggressor to get what you think is the most comfortable, confident situation you can put your franchise in. And the whole idea of giving up, making a choice that is not popular. Again, I'm a Packers fan. Last year they drafted Jordan Love when it was not never going to help them in a year where they are still should be a Super Bowl contender. I understand the criticism of it, but I believe that, you know, the team has to make decisions that they believe will save a franchise from being, you know, completely out of it and just losing so much, you know, money and like by losing and becoming irrelevant, saving your franchise from that is worth anything that you can see as being potential in the future with first round picks. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. I, I feel like, and I, I think, I don't know if this would completely contradict, but um, I think that when you have a top three pick, you got to take a home run swing. And not that to say you take a stupid, like, like super boom bust, but I just feel like Fields' uh, floor is high enough to where his ceiling is worth it uh, over Mac Jones. And especially when you have Garoppolo, a sure thing. So that's and- my opinion. And as a person who's more down on Fields, I completely agree with that. I think Fields does have a high enough floor to where I don't see him being a failure if he's drafted by the 49ers. Yeah. I like for the most part, I don't think that Fields is going to be a bust of an NFL player. I think there's just other traits that I feel like could transition to make a more productive player, especially early on, but p- probably like for his entire career, if Fields doesn't develop. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's the whole thing. It's boom bust. The the other qu- question I want to bring up before we get into the fantasy talk, Cam, as a Bengals fan, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk on like Twitter and stuff uh, between team chase. Like, do you want Jamar chase or do you want Pinay Sewell? So as a Bengals fan, what are you thinking? Uh, who would be your pick? I, I have very mixed emotions on this. Same. I, I I firmly believe that in the process of us actually building something, we have to share up the offensive line. Sewell is the logical pick, but Chase is the sexy pick mm-hmm. that's going to excite the fan base. He's going to give Joe Burrow a true number one guy. I, I can go back and forth because I think there is something – to be said about exciting the fan base, exciting the team, adding an offensive weapon for Burrow. Um, before we signed Great Barrier Reef, I would have <laughs> said absolutely one hundred percent you have to sign or you have to draft Sewell here. I am not going to be sad with either pick. I can live with it, and move on from it. I. I do want to see Sewell play next year for the Cincinnati Bengals. But at the end of the day, I think Chase is a home run pick. I think Sewell's a home run pick. I yeah. would just like to see hopefully some more, even if they're not big name. If they decide to go with Chase, I think they have to still continue to try to pursue and sign some free agents out there. I'm with you. Yeah. I, go ahead. It's just it's a it's a hard decision. I actually don't envy being a GM or anything in this situation because 
I don't know what you would do. I think they're both sure things. They're great players. It's just what is going to help you get to that next level. Because we don't care about winning two more games next year. We're I'm at least thinking two, three, four years down the line what we could be. Yeah, I think for me it comes down to I, I'm I'm pulling more for Sewell, although I won't be upset with Chase. Um, I'm pulling more for Sewell. I think we've whiffs the Bengals have whiffed so much on the O line, like. You know, think about like second round picks, like even late first, like with Billy Price. Um, they've whiffed so much that like I just feel like Sewell is like as close to a sure thing that you can get. And so like we just desperately need that. Where I do think it is a deep offensive line class and there will be guys out there second, third round. It just it, it makes me nervous. And I'm um, not saying that the guys in the second round can't be good for us, but just with our history, it just makes me nervous. But um I do think like the class is deeper at, at offensive line than receiver. So I feel like if we get a receiver in the second round, it might not be as good as our O line we could get in the second round. But I don't know. I just want to. I just want to make sure that we get the best offensive line possible. And I, th- I just think long term, if we could have Jonah and Sewell as our like bookend tackles, like I just feel pretty confident about that. And so you can always fill in guards with like, you know third, second, third, fourth round picks, but those tackles are like high end tackles are hard to come by. So quick thoughts, Justin drew before we get to the fantasy stuff. Uh, obviously not a Bengals fan, but on the outside looking in, uh, I think Sewell's the answer. Um, again, I, I've been saying it like, you're not going to go wrong. If you pick chase, um, I I'm da- more down on receivers than, um normal I think Drew would be too um like I don't I think actually Colin Cowherd said it best where he said the receivers are icing um like you don't like, like look the bad, at who, the bad part of a cake like <laughs> no look at who the look at who the Patriots have won Super Bowls with like join Edelman Dion Branch what's what or they didn't win one with Welker but like you you don't need a true number one guy to win yeah it's fun and it's awesome to have but um i i, I don't know like i i did this i think I, I i did this exercise like mike evans is like the best wide receiver to win a super bowl like in the 2000s um besides you can argue tyree kill or uh who was the, reggie wayne but like they don't I just don't think they translate to wins as much as everyone thinks they are. And I think fantasy football is kind of a brainwash people into that thinking as well. Um, but I, I would sure up the offensive line, um, especially since your rookie future superstar QB just towards ACL because of your line um, eight months ago, seven months ago. So, yeah. Yeah. I've been a little disappointed, not disappointed, uh, you know, talking to Drew or talk, not Drew, uh, talking to Jordan and Austin, they're also Bengals fans. They're on the chase bandwagon and I'm not like hating on it, but I feel like a lot of the Bengals sports writers and, uh, you know, they're pulling more for chase and I get it, but I just feel like they've quickly, quickly forgotten how bad our offensive line was. And so I'm just a little, just, I just wish they were just do it with a little bit more caution. Um, before we get into the fantasy stuff, Drew. Quick update on the golf outing. Just give your quick, short, how did it go with me and Vic? Okay. So, very surprising, actually. 
we had a golf outing and it, we were actually all on a team. It wasn't you versus Vic no. or anything like that. So no. we were on a team, me, you, Vic, and my brother, Danny. We were in a, a scramble team for the baseball, you know, fundraiser outing. And I think Alec and Vic had a little side bet of who, who had the most shots that we would use, even counting putts. And almost every single time, I think Alec went first, so there is some disadvantage there. But what did that total end up being? I want to say Vic won like nine to six or something like that. Okay. So it was closer than I thought. But Vic was substantially, from what I remember, because I did get quite inebriated, Vic was substantially more useful. And I think part of it was it was absolute shitty day, like borderline one of the worst days I've had golfing weather-wise in a long time. It was windy. It was cold. It was awful. But I think more than – because I have golfed with you this uh, over the summer or last summer, and you were much better than what you showed uh, last week. Yeah. And Vic, Vic's one of those guys who weirdly, the less he practices, the more likely he is to hit the ball. And <laughs> – it's it's kind of a shit show. He'll aim, you know, he, he closes his club face to literally face probably 40 degrees to the left and then put his feet towards the right and somehow he might make contact, whatever. But he did kind of really handle himself when it comes to you versus him. Yeah, well, here's – okay, so I, I, obviously I think Vic, Vic definitely outplayed me, but I'm going to give my excuses. And I, you can criticize <laughs> me all you want about excuses, but – couple things. It was about like high 30s, low 40s, and windy. And I definitely underestimated the weather, and I only wore like one layer. Like I just – literally all I wore was a sweatshirt, like a, like a light sweatshirt. So I was freezing. So that's one. Two, uh, it was wet, and I don't have golf shoes. And I like stepped in a puddle, and like my foot was like drenched. So like then I'm just miserable. Three – I have new golf clubs that Downing gave me and it was my first time playing with them. So I'm not used to like using those clubs. So that's another excuse. And four, I think that my style of play is better than Vic's because like Vic's kind of is suited for a scramble. Cause when you're in a scramble, you can kind of just go up and hit it. And if you have a bad shot, like it's okay because somebody else in your team had a better shot. So you're not, you don't have to, really have to dwell on that. And so I feel like when me and Vic play like one-on-one, Victor, his bad shots will get him like really, really down. And he'll just fall apart where I feel like I'm a little bit more like if I have a bad shot, I feel like I'll recover quicker just because like, I'm not as like, I'm don't get as emotionally upset. And so I, I, I don't know when we play this summer, I think that the real, the better golfer will show. And I think that's me, even though Vic won the battle, I think I'm going to win the war. So yeah. I just want to kind of say that Victor uh, is absolutely a momentum guy. And he, I think the first hole he might've had a shot that we used. And once he got the ball rolling, I think that's what he needed. If, if he would have shanked one, the day would have been over already. Yeah. And the thing is with scrambles, like when you shank one, it's easier to recover because like, you don't have to think about it. Cause you're not using that shot. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and let's get into the fantasy. We've talked a long time. Want to get into Cameron's uh, fancy history. So I want to talk to you, Cam, a little bit about you coming into the league because um, for those who have listened and don't know the history, uh, Cam, I think, is like 
five, four or five years younger than most of the people in the league. And so I want to get a little bit of your backstory of like how you got into the league where like most of the people were people who graduated five years before you did. Um, never really thought about it. I would say I knew you guys from church predominantly known most, I would say most of the people in the league from church in some capacity, whether it be basketball at the church or whatever that was. Um, but yeah, I don't mean Adam hung pretty tight back then. I was loosely, I would say close with everybody in the league and like a loose form of that. I don't know. Just, I guess I was kind of the mutual friend, I would say. Yeah. We talked to Adam about it and like, and he brought up like how, I think it was like a church service or something. We afterwards, I came up and we were just looking for guys to play. And I think, I think I probably knew you more than Adam. So I probably came up to you and like Justin, Jeremy might've been there as well. I might've just came up like, Hey, we want to play fantasy football. And I feel like, like Adam was kind of just there a little bit. I, I probably, I'm just not thinking about that. Cause I didn't know Adam super well, but um, it's kind of funny how like that invite has kind of turned into eight years in the league together. And, uh, at the time, like who who were the guys that you felt like you knew the best, and who did you know the least at that time? Um, I probably knew the guys who I knew the least are probably easier to list off. Um, probably Connor. I don't really. I still don't really know Connor at all. Um, Connor and Gary. <laughs> I don't know those guys hardly at all. But um, loosely had like maybe seen Kyle. I think I played basketball with Drew a couple times here and there. Um, I'm trying to think. I probably knew you probably the best out of anybody in the league, other than maybe Justin and Jeremy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was the mutual friend that was just – I was friends with everybody, kind of. Yeah. So, I I have one question, and I, I feel like I've asked you this before in previous times that we've talked. You went to Rosedale, right? Yeah, I went to Rosedale. I'm pretty sure when I was in fifth grade, you were in first grade, and you were my first grade buddy. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I think we were supposed to go. Like we went to see the movie Elf, and we were we were sitting next to each other. I think we sat next to each other on the bus. Shit, I really I don't know. I don't remember. That would You're be telling me you don't remember first grade, Cam? No. Yeah, well, that, that's the other part of this. There's me asking you questions about when you were, you know, six years old or however. I don't remember specifically, no. I, w- I wish I could say you were memorable as a sixth grader, but. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you made zero impact, Drew. I was, I was shorter and fatter. Well, actually, no, I'm not fatter. I was probably the same width. Uh, I don't, honestly, I don't remember that. I don't. The odds are probably pretty high. Honestly. I think I think I was your first grade buddy. Let's just claim it. Like let's just claim it as history. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So when it comes to you being in the league, the first person that you knew was actually me. So we need to get this story straight going forward. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll adjust. <laughs> Drew, what were your opinions on Cameron? Because I feel like you know maybe as a you first grader. <laughs> As a first grader and when he first came into the league. As a first grader, I don't think he talked very much. I thought he was pretty shy. Um, But actually, I I honestly don't remember very much. Um, Coming into the league, again, 
um, I think I said this when on the Adam podcast. I kind of only knew him as uh, somebody who was in the league that went to church with uh, you and Chris and them. And so that was kind of what I always had as my thought of who this person was, um, especially the first year and probably on to the first couple of years. And then my opinion probably started shaping out based off of how he was doing in fantasy. And then we played basketball a couple of times. And then for a while there, my opinion was, okay, he's the guy who never stops fucking running during pickup basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and I would beg not to guard him just because I didn't want to run around. You wouldn't get the ball much. You just would never stop running. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I mean, that's a fair take. Uh, Cam has, has, has like, I'm trying to think, like, through the league, has there been anybody in particular really that you feel like maybe you've gotten closer to or that you feel like you know a lot better now than you did, like, eight years ago? Um, I, I don't think it was necessarily because of fantasy football, but I right, like but I didn't know who Derek really was. I probably knew him loosely from church, mm-hmm. but – um, yeah, I would say that I've probably gotten closer to Derek than anybody else. I actually feel like it's kind of the opposite. I feel like I haven't seen many people from the league and like going on four or five years here. So, yeah, well, I feel like, yeah, definitely. Like, I felt like you, when you went away to college, you were really busy cause you were doing young life at the time. And, uh, you know, I feel like most of the time when we would see, uh, it would be like during like a, like a random basketball night and things like that. Um, and then with everything going on with COVID and everything, I feel like it's kind of like made it difficult to see people in general anyway. Yeah, uh, that's been a weird thing coming back from college. Cause I stayed and worked in my college town essentially for a year afterwards. And then when I actually came back to Middletown, it was like the start of this whole COVID thing. So it seems like I haven't seen any Middletown people in what feels like probably six years, honestly. So, well, and like, I remember right before COVID hit, I remember you texting me and being like, Hey, like when you guys play basketball, like you were like, I think you came to a couple nights and we were kind of getting things rolling. Just like, you know, seeing you, I was going to, I was definitely seeing you more because of that. And then everything kind of hit. And then, you know, obviously things stood still, but that's kind of where I've kind of remembered get back to basketball soon. Once everybody gets vaccinated and shit. Well, once we figure out like getting the gym back, we're definitely, definitely going to try to make that happen. Um, so I just want to get your opinion on, t- on this too. Like, so what's your p- opinion on the big league? Like, do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you tolerate it? Um, what do you like? What do you not like? Just want to kind of get your overall thoughts on the league. I, I like it because it's different than any other fantasy league. Um, I don't know. I've gone back and forth in my head whether I think the 16-team league um, makes it more or less luck than any other fantasy league. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. At least I've been in, like, some six-team leagues that you're just drafting superstars and you're waiting to see, like, which two players, like, score 50 points this week. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we're gambling on guys that, oh, they were a fifth-string player last year. They were the number five <laughs> wide receiver on their team, but they, they have some great tape I saw on some Twitter highlights. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> There's some luck in that as well. I like it because it's so different. I also like that 
we kind of all I feel like we give each other a hard time to an extent Mm -hmm. Uh, I enjoy the competitive camaraderie of it I guess yeah there's definitely banter I um my least favorite thing about it is uh very clear uh number one the one thing about the league that I would have any sort of disdain for is some of the trade logic (laughs) is absolutely insane at times i've gotten some offers from Derek that's like (laughs) that were like i think at one point last year i had an offer for deshaun watson and chase claypool after his like two back-to-back god squad weeks for like three bench players of Derek's, and i'm like (laughs) it's i get I'm going to start screenshotting just some of the trade offers I get. <laughs> you really, what you should do, because I feel like some people have taken advantage of this, is like whenever you get like some of those bad trade negotiations, guys just like screenshot it and send it into the chat and just let people roast it. So definitely okay. don't start incorporating that. I need, to, I need to do that more often. Jordan Grow is pretty guilty of sending some atrocious ones as well. <laughs> Dude, that's a common theme. Like we've yeah. interviewed a lot of people and those two names always come back, come up as like the worst trade negotiators. <laughs> yeah. They're, it, they're difficult. <laughs> Cause Jordan, Jordan will text you and try to carry it on. He's like, why don't you like it? And you're like, it it's, it's horrible. <laughs> like, so would you say that Jordan is the worst of anybody in the league? Uh, I, because, because the fact is you don't trade that much. And, no. um, Looking at here, you have the fifth least amount of trades of anybody in the league. And I can, I can really only think of like two trades I think I've made. I don't know what the count is, but yeah. So, uh, Fultz put it in here. So, one thing that's really noteworthy is we talked last pod about how that first year there was astronomical amount of trades. You had zero. And so, I mean, that probably pertains to you know, knowing people, I don't know if you didn't have as much interest or whatever, but the most you ever made in a year was two. And then you made one trade in three other years. And so it like, and it looks like you didn't make any last year. You made one the year before. And I think I looked back at it and it was a trade where it was like four players for three players. It was like a pretty big trade. It involved DK Metcalf, I think. Uh, I think I sent DK Metcalf to Jeremy that year, maybe. That sounds right. Yeah. Jeremy loves DK. If I'm thinking back, I think – I know I got Le'Veon Bell in one trade. I don't know. Kind of semantics yeah. at this point. But I am a firm believer in I don't want to trade out of panic. I almost did a couple times this year, and I, like, caught myself. I went with my – um. I, I was in love with Chase Claypool going into the season. I was convinced that he was going to be Pittsburgh's clear number two, and he was going to score a lot of points pretty consistently. And he scored a lot of points, but it was about every two or three weeks. Um, you got something out of him. And so I got into panic mode as a result of injuries. And I, I have this theory that hasn't panned out for me because I haven't won a Woody that the worst thing I can do is go into panic mode and start trying to rearrange and that players will eventually like law of averages will get healthy and things will fall into place. I, so, 
that hasn't worked out for me yet. So I probably need to reevaluate that strategy. And I mean, we can go over final finishes um, in a little bit. Well, Fools, do you want to go into that right now? No, let's keep going. Let's keep talking about strategies, and we'll we'll get into that later. Let's let's get in, let's talk about trade. Let's talk about trade strategies and stuff. So with strategy, so you know, listening to you talk, you know, you don't love you don't love trading when it comes to being in panic, is mm-hmm. the what you stated. When is the time that you do want to trade? As far as like, is it just kind of throughout the year? Whenever you just think that you have a good deal on the table, is that what it takes, or is it like there a circumstance like, I mean. Because if like you know your tight end gets hurt or something or your running back gets hurt, whatever, you're basically saying you don't want to just make a trade just because that happened. Like, what is yeah. it that makes you want to trade if you ever do? So, I, I think in our league specifically, being a 16 team league, the running back position is do or die. You thrive or fail based on the running back position, and. I've kind of held the mentality that if I have two running backs, I'm going to be okay at the end of the day. I can stream a tight end stream. I I really don't worry about tight end defense kicker that much. Um, But I, this year was looking for a trade to try to pick up a number two running back. And it's just not something I ever felt like I was actually winning going into it. I think I should have maybe hit a, not necessarily a panic button this year, but I think my season could have been different um, had I picked up a really number two running back for my team. Um, But I was also plagued by injuries. Yeah. I don't, I want to be more active in trading, but I also have this all encompassing fear I'm really about to accept the Jordan grow offer and I just don't realize it for whatever reason. Yeah. I feel like that's a common thing of like, nobody wants to be on the losing end of a trade, whether it's because in the chat, you're going to get ridiculed or just the simple fact of making a bad trade ends up, you know, really hurting your team because it is 16 teams and it's hard to rebuild off the waiver wire. One thing that I wanted to mention, because uh, you had a really good team this year, and you had Eckler and Aaron Jones, and I remember trying to get one of those two guys because those guys were hurt, and I was just, I was trying to take advantage of the fact that like I was pretty healthy, and so I could, my team could withstand having them like wait on the bench, and you were kind of on the bubble where you needed to start stringing together some wins, um, but I, I can definitely understand that like where you have guys that are hurt, and you're like I need them for a playoff win or push but i might not make it to the playoffs if i don't do something about this so is that kind of where you were at my mentality this year was i would rather somehow miraculously barely get into the playoffs and be able to make a push as the bottom seed than make it into the playoffs and get crushed in the first round i um that obviously didn't pay off didn't work out for me. Didn't make the playoffs this year. It was close though, because you were like, it was between you and Adam. Like if you, did you, so you and Adam had the last game and if you would have won, you would have been in and then Adam wins. Was that how it went down? Yeah. I think there was some sort of like tiebreaker. Didn't Adam end up not the bottom seed, but the second to last seed. I think there was something was Vic, the bottom seed. 
No, Adam. Adam was Adam was. Adam was seed. Then it yeah. was Adam. It did come down to that week. I was thinking. I was confused. Um, no, Vic was like at the bottom. Bottom. <laughs> he was at the bottom. Bottom. Okay, I'm thinking of something else. Um, or somebody. I think Connor was the only other one. Connor. Right? Yeah, Connor. Was. It was like a tight race for the playoffs. I think two of the teams got in right. It mm-hmm. was me, Adam, and Connor kind of fighting to get in at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was banking on if I could squeak in, I could serious run with Eckler and Jones. Um, obviously, it didn't happen, but I I, I would my... probably change it now in re- in retrospect. I would, but at the same time, I think that philosophy was probably the right one to have in this situation because I ba- I barely missed out. I mean, my my biggest regret of this past season was I had a trade offer from you. Um, it was Aaron Jones for Robbie Anderson straight up that you had sent me. Uh, I let it expire because I could not. I, I thought I really liked Robbie Anderson coming into this year. Um, and he, he did really well to start the season. And I just I couldn't let him go because I thought he was going to be really good. And that ended up crushing me as I had three starting running backs go out for the championship game. But uh, that Aaron Jones trade that I let expire and ended up not taking is my biggest regret, uh, honestly, of the past few years in terms of trades. I was, uh, I was looking at our, cause we text usually over this. I think here I pulled up an old message. Um, at one point on the table we had, it was, I was trading you Aaron Jones and Henry Ruggs for James Connor, Curtis Samuel, Nikhil Harry and Hunter Renfro. And you would have, yeah, you would have got me there pretty good. <laughs> it was Drew, close. What was happened? Drew, uh, one thing that Drew was bringing up, and uh, Drew, I don't know if you want to get into it, but uh, you know, you put together a good, a good team. But one of the things is like with your draft strategies this year. I remember I was making fun of you after the draft because you drafted like I think it was like six or seven straight rookie wide receivers, and I was like. Of the year of COVID, when there's no training camp, he goes all in on rookie receivers. I just thought that was just the silliest strategy, but it ended up like being a sweet strategy. So, Drew, uh, did you want to kind of touch on that? Well, so yeah, I mean, at the time too, I think we talked about it. I thought that that was like a trend that you have done in multiple years of being really like aggressive with taking rookies and you know, not being afraid to form your team with that, which can, can show. And I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit with your team of later in the year or at different times, like players would come and they would have boom bus weeks, whatever. And I think especially later in the year, we were talking about it of like you had, who were the wide receivers you had that were rookies? It was I mean, a Br- had- Brandon Ayu, Cl- uh, Claypool, Rager, um, and, and you had um, Denzel Mims, and which, Henry Ruggs, Henry Ruggs, and Henry Ruggs. Yeah, so you had like five rookies, and I mean the w- only rookie it seems like you didn't have was Justin Jefferson, which unfortunately is probably yeah, yeah the one that would have been the best. But um, but with Claypool, like he had games where he was breaking out, and then. Ayuk later in the season, he was getting more of a role where he was breaking out. And it was one of those, like, you know, it'd be nice to be able to draft those guys and just weather the storm early and then 
you know, as their rookie year goes on and they get more experience and they get more usage later in the year, that's when they're valuable. It would be like kind of like trying to find that balance for it. But you went like five, six rookies or something. And um, we were kind of thinking how that's such an aggressive type of strategy to go after. I mean, did you go into the year like with that idea to do that on purpose? No, not necessarily. It uh, it got a little carried away. I had three <laughs> rookies that I thought were going to be studs, and I was I missed on one of them. I think here, and then two of them. I think I might have just been a year early. I was like I said before. I was really high on Chase Claypool. Mm. I still think Chase Claypool's one hell of a player, but I definitely thought he was going to carve out a better role. So you had. I'm looking at now, you had Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, Brandon Ayuk, Denzel Mims, Chase Claypool, and KJ Hamler, all rookie receivers. Right. And I don't, did I draft Hamler, or did I pick him yeah, up? No, he's your, he he's your last him. pick. He no, was no. your uh, – ironically, he was your no, – he's your third be- – uh, sorry, never mind. But uh, Claypool <laughs> is definitely your best. I kept seeing it. – it's hard to keep track of the seven rookies that you I'm drafted. sure the Claypool love came – because you're kind of a low-key Notre Dame fan. So is yeah. that kind of where the Claypool love came from? Yeah, I watched a lot of Claypool. I uh, I don't like Ian Book. And so I was convinced that Claypool was really like the secret stud that was going to be a gem as soon as he came into the league. I also was super high on Henry Ruggs. That bit me uh, Yeah. He did not have a very good season. I really thought Brandon Ayuk would be able to carve out a bigger role earlier in the season. Um, I think I was right on Ayuk being able to carve out a role. I was just wrong about the time period. So I was high on those three guys on draft night. I knew I wanted to come away from the draft with all three of those guys. And then it kind of became a place where I don't remember who it was. I don't remember who I was looking at. I was between Deshaun Watson and a wide receiver and I ended up going with Deshaun Watson, which helped me out at the end. But on draft night, I thought that I'd shot myself in the foot in picking up a veteran wide receiver that I knew would consistently get points. And so I started reaching for potential instead of actually reaching for probably more consistent results. I thought it worked out great for you. And I think, I think maybe part of it was like you had, you had so many shots, like so many dart shots that like, you know, if you, if you take seven dart shots, like one or two are about to hit. And then when those two hit, it's money. And I thought, I mean, Claypool was very useful. Yeah, it was boom bust, but Claypool and Ayuk were just great gems in the draft. I think, you know, just taking that many dart shots was an interesting approach. And I, I admit that I was, critical and kind of made fun of you after the draft for it but it, i actually kind of looked back on it and it looks pretty smart um thinking about I it thought a, i thought my team was a lot better the night of the draft than i think it turned out to be which was funny because i left the draft very happy with my team a little nervous so i wasn't huge on eckler which is strange because i think he was my second round pick yeah but just kind of the way the draft played out um but yeah, everybody was kind of talking crap about my team, and I was, I was okay with the results. I knew the wide receiver thing was risky, but yeah, uh, that, that brings up a good point. I kind of want to get into your reputation because you, you know, a lot of people were kind of doubting. But before we get into your reputation in the league, Drew, Justin, do you guys have any other things you want to talk about when it comes to strategy? Um, well, 
and I don't know if we're going to get into this with the reputation thing, but your final finishes are kind of some of the most, it's very consistent. And therefore it's kind of one of the most like impressive things about you uh, in your resume compared to almost anybody else in the league. Like your worst finish was is 10th place. And you had a year where you were runner up. You have a year where you were third. And so being in that, that tier between, you know, second and 10 is not a terrible like ceiling floor to have. Um, and so I was thinking that, you know, that consistency would also mean that your draft strategy would be pretty consistent, but you're actually kind of more of a, you don't have a typical way of drafting when I look at back at your drafts. And the one thing is your first round pick usually like has never really been a bust. The closest was last year's Todd Gurley getting 208 points over the year, but it's never been a bust. And the whole idea of you not really liking trades the year that you ended up um, becoming the uh, getting second place, you had the third best draft uh, of all time. So to put that in context, what I mean by that is Jordan has on the stat sheet, um, basically everybody's drafted roster and then how many points those players had throughout the year. You, in 2016, when you were runner-up, you had the third highest drafted points of any team ever in the league. And so I feel like that kind of is like what you strive for is to have a good draft and just play that out. And I don't know how you are on the waiver wire. So I'm assuming that you must be active if you're not making trades. Yeah. I'm a, I, I typically – I don't think – I can't think of a big like – waiver wire find outside of I picked up the guy who took over in the Chargers running back fiasco I don't even remember his name it was like Briscoe I would say but that's probably wrong something along those lines <laughs> that's these are the kind of guys we're getting in the big league <laughs> like two or three straight like fill in like 25 30 point performances can't really recall any like waiver wire gems I found but I'm typically pretty active and trying to pick up guys who I think have a chance or I, like I said, I found myself in the precarious situation of streaming tight ends a lot. Um, So I've had a lot of interesting tight ends that I could not even recall half of their names or pick out of a lineup. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I try to stay active on the waiver wire and I do think the draft for me is at least key. I'm not, I'm not a master negotiator. I'm not going to wow you with my arguments to take my crappy players for your good players. Like, <laughs> do you enjoy I, like that text negotiation? Do I not? Not particularly. It's not my thing. <laughs> you don't want people texting you. Uh, people can text me. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind it. I'm just not like living vicariously for fantasy football trades by any means. What's wrong um, with you? i um i definitely i think i've kind of seen maybe it's just a change in philosophy because i haven't won yet i do want to become more involved in trading but i'm also don't want to become the panic seller the derrick that unloads peyton manning for chipotle yeah Uh, (laughs) I, i don't want that to become me um 
but I definitely need to find the, there's a balance in there somewhere. For sure. I want to go, go ahead. Sorry. You're good. Go for it. Oh, um, I just, I just wanted to go over your final finishes um, and we'll kind of get into your reputation. So I want to read some stats and then I want you to kind of plead your case of what you, where you think you belong in terms of like uh, in history, in the big league history, if you think like where you think you belong. Um, so final finishes in 2013, you got ninth, 2014, you got seventh and you were seven and six. 2015 was your worst regular season. You got ninth and finished five and eight. But then after that, in 2016, you finished second at nine and four. 2017 was third at seven and six. 2018 was fifth and seven and six. 2019 was tenth at seven and six. And then 2020 was ninth at I think six and seven. Um, but you're sixth all time in wins, only behind me, Justin, Derek, Jordan, and Drew. Um, you're tied first uh, for bowl wins, which is six and two. And then your final finish, which is like basically your average finishes. Um, basically, we put all the years together, wherever you finished in the league, you're second on all time, second only to me. And so laying all that out for you, you can see the consistency. One thing I want to say is that I think that you're probably the most underrated player in the league where I think people, because maybe some people don't know you as well, um, and you kind of slay under the radar, I think people kind of sleep on how good you all have been at fantasy football. Um, I mean, it's a very impressive resume. So where do you think you belong when it comes to the league, uh, like Mount Rushmore, Mount Flushmore? I mean, that's a hard question. I, um, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I don't consider myself like anywhere near, well, I don't consider myself like Mount Rushmore of the big 16. I haven't got the win. I've got close a couple times, but, I do think like the bowl game is interesting because my philosophy has kind of always been to let the injuries ride and move on. And by the end of the year, it'll be okay. And so like, I always feel like I am incredibly hot at the very end of the season, which is frustrating to not end with a win. Um, I, but I do think that I'm underrated in the league. If I'm going to be honest with you, I think that there's probably a surprising amount of people that would put me on, I don't know if they put me on a flush more, but close to it. I um, I think that if I was going to be fair to myself, I think I'm somewhere. If you were going to rank big 16 owners, I would say like six, seven. And I think that's fair. I don't think I'm being biased towards myself. Um, I Maybe I am. Feel free to tell me why I'm being stupid. But I um. I think that I've flown under the radar in the league for a long time. And I want to, I want to get a win. I want to make a splash because I think a win would really help my case for the Mount Rushmore. That's what I was going to say. I think there are a group, there's a group of three people who I think a championship would automatically put them on Mount Rushmore. I think you drew and Derek are all guys who have been very consistent, have really good resumes. And the only thing that's missing is a championship because I feel like if you, like, if you look at our resumes back to back, mine and yours, um, they're very similar when you look, cause I feel like both of us have not had a, a low floor. Like I think my worst season is 10th and your worst season is 10th. Um, the only difference between us has been you've, I, I, I got a championship and you finished second. And so, I mean, that's just a matter of one game, Justin drew, where do you guys put Cameron in terms of that list? So I will say first off, Alec, this is going to be a conversation for another pod. 
Okay. There's so many stats that as I dig in, your championship is the flukiest of anybody's. And a so cha- a championship is we'll, a championship. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that because of the stats like in another pod. But Cameron's ranking, I absolutely say 6th, 7th is 100% the floor of where I think you should be ranked. And I think it it's between 5, 6, and 7 in my opinion. And it is one of those of like, no, it's not Mount Rushmore. And, you know, like kind of comparing to me, I think is a fair comparison of like, we're probably back to back, whether it's, you know, U5, me six or whatever it is. Like, I don't think we're Mount Rushmore people, but there's absolutely no reason for you to be in the conversation to be in the bottom half of the league and definitely nowhere near the uh, Flushmore conversation. And I mean, because your worst final finish is 10th, and, I mean, how many times have you made the playoffs? You made it over half the times in the league, right? I believe so, but I think it's probably close. To no, it's four and four. So, you've made it okay. uh, four times in, four times out. So, that's that's one thing that's kind of like, I mean, it just – when it when you look at the final results of stuff, it looks like you are the most steady owner of anybody in the league. And then especially – you know, hearing Fultz list out all those records of what your regular season finishes were. You had one year where it was five and eight, one year when it was nine and four. Those kind of outweigh each other. Everything else is like seven and six or six and seven. Like it's it's right in the middle and consistency is kind of impressive in a sixteen team league where usually one injury could derail you. Justin, where you put him? Yeah, I, I think uh I mean I'm not gonna take too I, I think he put it or you guys have put it uh perfectly i think six seven is probably fair five six seven um it is funny though looking back at like your your wins because like outside of 2016 ironically you remind me of like the 2009 to 2015 Bengals. it's just like one game over 500 one game over 500 one game over 500 it's consistent but it's all it's like seven it's uh let me look it's uh seven five nine seven 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 five and it's just it's funny to me that it just reminds me of 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 the Bengals uh of the 2010s it's kind of refreshing to have cameron on because i feel like all of our interviews up to this point have been a bunch of flush more people that are just terrible and this has been like the first <laughs> this has been like the first interview where we've had somebody who's like like yeah this is a really solid owner because uh, we haven't had you know my, the guys that i would have up there would be like me justin Chris, Jordan, and then Drew, Derek, and Cameron. I think that seven is like a really solid seven, like top half of the league. Um, and then from there on, it's not that great. So it's kind of nice, it's a little bit of a refreshment. Um, one thing, uh, not only do I want to bring up your fantasy uh, success, but also I feel like you've had an underrated impact on the league uh, as a whole. Little do people know, I have a question for you, and I probably gave away, but who created the big league stat sheet? Justin, do you know the answer? Uh, yeah, Cameron brought his MacBook over to, uh, to uh, when I was living across the, literally across the hall from you, he brought it over to your apartment um, one night when we were watching like Monday Night Football, and he's like, hey, look at this, it's just like out of nowhere, like out of the blue. And like it was in the middle of a game, and I'm like, Alec, you gotta look at this. And it's like stats from the whole year. 
And then next thing you know, Jordan had like completely stolen it. Jordan gets all the credit for it now, but I, I remember <laughs> Cam showing it to us uh, first. Wow. Um, did you and did you know this? No, no, I didn't. And honestly, right now I'm thinking, you know, Cameron probably put it together, probably made the layout, and Jordan took it and made it as complicated as fuck as possible. <laughs> and, that, and now we can't read it. And I, I kind of wish Cameron would have kept with it. I bet you I'd be able to actually look up stats and. God knows Downing would have a better chance looking at that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, everybody attributes when they think about the stat sheet, like the first name people probably think about that don't know the backstory is that Jordan was the one that created it, but it's not. Cameron was the one that created it. So uh, walk me through how that kind of came about, Cam. I, um, <laughs> I put, I'll put it this way, like, I think it was part of this like big idea in my head that I wanted to come up with like the most true projections that I possibly could for a player's average output. Like I know ESPN does that. It's provided at the beginning of the year for a total year period in each week. But I tried to look at other like sources and try to guesstimate to assign player value to try to essentially win trades. Um, it didn't work out for me. I haven't won very many trades throughout my franchise. <laughs> but I kind of just took that idea. And I think I still have an Excel sheet from like 2015 that like aggregates all this information from like PFF and ESPN and Yahoo. to like try to come up with a more true average. Um, but I had built that one, which was just a super basic Excel sheet. Like, I don't even think there were formulas on it. Like it was like super low key, just like kind of for my own personal, like nerdiness. Like I like Excel sheets. I like working <laughs> on Excel sheets and it had like wins, total points. Like, I think it was like, I think I had like medians and like just some like basic stuff on there. And I showed it to you guys. I kind of forgot about this until right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I showed it to you guys one night. And Jordan somehow requested that I, like, send it to him. That I probably still own that sheet, honestly. So, yeah, I was going to say, I still I, – I can't pull it. I can't – for some reason, I'm not able to pull it up on my iPad right now. But, like, I, I still have access to it. And, like, it hasn't been updated. But I still have access to the original. And that's kind of how I thought about it. Because I was looking at the stat sheet today, trying to get some stats for the episode. And then I, when I typed in the stat sheet, I saw the one that you made. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, you were the one that made it. Yeah. So, I, um, but, yeah, Jordan just took it and he did his thing with it. And Jordan's great with that stuff. But it's, it's complicated as hell. I don't look at it ever. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a i'll make an excel sheet for dummies one day that's what we need we'll get yeah. one that's like proof. <laughs> so like okay so here's a peek behind the curtain too so like today like looking at the stat book um and i was you know gathering stats for this podcast i was looking at something and i ended up making a, a sheet about positional average rankings whatever i go through it and like accumulate a bunch of stuff that's in there whatever and then i i tell justin alec and jordan about it and jordan has to send a message to be like hey by the way you know i have that in there right and it's one of those like he knows that there's just information 
like hidden in the, in the bowels of this stat book to where like he's surprised <laughs> when anybody finds any information. <laughs> Do you think it's by design? I have no, I don't know. I think I I feel like um I'm trying to think of there's a movie that does this. Uh but I feel like the stat book is basically kind of like a story of how Jordan thinks and that <laughs> there's random, you know, tidbits and random spots. And that's just what he was thinking at the moment. So he put it in there like at cell 146 <laughs> on this page and which makes it even more fun and better when, you know, Austin tries to decode what the heck Jordan is thinking. <laughs> I never even thought about it that way, but it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, than, go ahead. I just want to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back when I possibly can here. Um, speaking of Downing, when I made my team name Austin Downing, is my all time favorite big league moment because he so was. Let- kicked off about that well so this kind of i have a question for you because one part of your history in the league is you've had some of the best team names and so this is actually a fan question it said so so the fan question was what is your favorite team name of all time austin downing the amanda kings the bad boys (laughs) (laughs) and explain how those names came about so there's three names the austin downing Amanda King's bad boy. So let's start off. You kind of give us the Austin Downing story, or give us the Austin Downing story, and then get into the rest. I uh, I like to annoy people who get upset at being annoyed. I don't know if people. <laughs> I have some I have some trollish tendencies. Um, I try to keep them at bay the best I can, but it comes out sometimes. And I started noticing like. Wow, I have this innate gift that I can piss Austin Downing off so well. Um, and so I just kind of rode with it for a little bit. And I would just do subtle things that I knew would make him upset. Um, I would send him really, really bad trade offers, which is something that I hate. <laughs> and, so are you just secretly just attacking him nonstop throughout every year? No. this is stuff that we don't know. It was really limited to like the first half of that season. Um, <laughs> okay, it, it faded. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of interest. I um, <laughs> the Amanda Kings. Um, <laughs> Just explain who who is Amanda King. Go through that story. Um, I don't really remember the story per se, but I just know it was a girl that Adam. Was I can in. tell you the story. And I played him, I think, like the first week of the season or something. So I made my team the Amanda Kings. And it probably really wasn't funny. It was probably just mean, but I thought it was really funny. And we're laughing about it now. So Was that just- his girlfriend at the time? Uh, not a girlfriend, I don't think. I think just a girl. Yeah, a girl that existed. <laughs> <laughs> This is just confusing me even more. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Uh, want to be you mad. went through the stretch of like how it even came up. I believe was that you just changed your team name to like whoever, 
it was and like you would change your name to like austin downing and then you would send trades to random people and then they would get mad at austin because yeah. they like, would why see does austin, austin keep downing. sending me trades <laughs> austin keeps sending me these crap trades and it was really <laughs> and then instead of from what i remember from instead of just changing it to like adam bowman you just changed it to amanda king to go to another level who they <laughs> i think they dated for like three total weeks uh and that was it <laughs> What's funny about that team name too is like it's actually a cool name. Like if you don't even know uh, this girl's name, like you think of a king as like kings are like a nickname. And so like I didn't even think I didn't know who Amanda King was at the time. So I just thought, oh, that's a cool nickname. And then I found out the backstory. Uh, so that's ultimate troll. <laughs> the, um, the bad boys were a result of having just like I think I have five suspended players on my roster at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Just a catastrophe, but I think I drafted them all suspended with the yeah. mentality, and I was like, the second half of the year, I'm going to be sweet. That's the thing. That's a that's a trend. Like, not only that, but like, you know, you think about drafting rookies, drafting guys who are suspended. Like, you want to peak at the end of the year. Yeah, that's the goal. It hasn't always helped, but I I have a new team name coming. I won't spoil any surprises. Oh wow. So that's a nice little tease for this I, season. I think it might be a franchise name. We're not sure. I think I'm going to try to develop a brand here. I like it. So we've talked to other people about their brands and like going along with branding. Real, real quick, real quick. The guys, the guys that you made the bad boys for name were like genuinely like bad dudes. Like it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was Brown. Tony Brown. Brown. Antonio Brown, it was Kareem Hunt, and it was Chris Hendron who Hendron or Herndon. Uh, Chris Herndon. I yeah. think I think it was just steroids. I think, but like Antonio Brown and Kareem Hunt are like genuine bad dudes. Well, just one. one Do you also side. have Tyreek when he was like doing I think all? So. I think he had Tyreek Hill. All too. the allegations with his kid. I think so. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Oh, uh, I think Kenny Stills was suspended too for steroids, and you had him. <laughs> I had Jason Blackman and Josh Gordon on the same team one year. Yeah. Yeah. Weed that out. Was, nice. That, that was something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sure did first year. So, yeah. okay. Like, on a serious, you know, whatever serious uh, fantasy note, I think it was two years ago, I drafted, I think, Mark Ingram and somebody else because they were suspended for two or four games or something. And I did it with the intention of, I felt like I was getting them at a discount. It really is not that bad of an idea because I mean, you know, you suffer for like a week or two, but you're getting multiple round discount on drafting a guy. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, like, you know, some ways like cameras a little bit like a Billy bean of the, of the big league, just like getting the, the discounted players, like, they were going to develop through the year. So I don't know. I think, I think that's something to, to keep an eye out for. Um, but, but the question I was going to ask you is we've asked a lot of people, like, what amount of money would you sell your franchise for? Like, in the big league, like, basically, if you sold your team, you could never get back in the league. What's the amount of money that you would sell your, your franchise for? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Yeah, uh, part of me thinks the number would be lower than I would expect it to be, and then part of me thinks it'd probably be higher. I don't yeah. know. It's something that there's value in the fact that it's something that keeps me entertained on a daily basis for now. What's going to be, I guess, 18 weeks of the year essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So 17 weeks of the year, I guess, because we don't play the last game. But I um, I don't know. I think the number would be higher than I would expect it or be honestly willing to admit. Um, yeah. I think I would – I mean, I think it would probably be over $1,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would I, agree. How much did Jeremy say it was? On the podcast or when he was trying to sell it to your brother that one year? No, on the podcast. Well, to my brother, it was like only like 20, 50 bucks. It's like right? 50 bucks. Yeah. But uh, then but he, I, I don't remember the number that Jeremy said on the pod, but it was when your brother tried to buy it and it was like 50 bucks and Jeremy uh, was seriously considering it. Yeah. he. It was at Gary and Chris's I don't, house. I don't remember the number that Jeremy came up with. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask Cam, you said you, there are guys in the league that you like to troll, and you said Downing was one of them. Who, like, what are a list of guys that you feel like you get a kick out of just trolling them? Um, Downing. <laughs> uh, I've, I've laid off here lately. I haven't been around people as much, so I feel like it's kind of awkward if I'm the, an outside man coming in. I used to love to mess with Justin just subtly a little bit. Um. I don't know. I haven't had as much fun with that. So I I, I see pretty eye-to-eye with Justin on most things. We have, I have some mutual respect, I think. Cameron, were you the person that TJ cussed out like the first year yeah, in a text message? 100%. <laughs> Wait, I, I, don't, I remember that, but I don't remember the details. I, I don't remember the details of it. I probably said something stupid. Well, I think you were just kind of like, you know, trolling, having like a comment back. I don't think it was serious at all. And then TJ just full on start cussing at you in a text chain. And I think we like texted him like on the side, been like, bro, you need to calm down. Like he's just joking. Like, because <laughs> he didn't know you. And so I felt, I, I forget exactly what was said, but it was one of those like, it's not that serious. <laughs> but, but also at the time, I mean, so wait, first year was 2013, right? Right. So we were 20 years old and you were like, what, 15 years old? Yeah, like 16, 15, somewhere in there. Yeah, so he's, you know, TJ's 20, 21 years old yelling at a 16-year-old kid. It was, it was like, bro, like, let him go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, yeah. I I like to troll Derek in good fun. I think I'm a I think I'm a fair player to Derek. Yeah. But, Derek um, needs it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's probably about it. It's really just downing, but I have to keep it subtle, just like once or twice a year say something. <laughs> that's what we were talking about. We were talking to Adam about that. That he like he doesn't talk a lot in the chat, but when he does, it's like a subtle attack at downing. And then we said that you do the same thing where like both of you guys kind of like low key <laughs> attack downing. And then I'll be at school. Cause downing and I work together and downing was like, what the heck man? Like, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> so funny. Was, was the Austin downing team name? Was that year one? No, I, I think believe, it was. I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. I think it was later. The funniest um, thing about it is I really, Outside of basketball, I don't know Austin like at all. Like, <laughs> I, I probably actually know him less than Connor. You know, I, when uh, a shark smells blood, they just—they—it doesn't matter what's <laughs> on the other end; they just go after it. I um, I was like his mom's like office aide or something. For <laughs> <laughs> the connection through Mindy. 
<laughs> yeah, me and Mindy were close. Dude, um, Victor's going to start some beef with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a whole love triangle that I was not expecting. <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden Cameron comes into the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, this has to be like this has to be the the clip for the uh, the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, uh, that's definitely a good list. I think of, of people to troll. Um, I do think like <laughs> incorporating a little bit of like getting Victor in there is fun to troll. Like, but it just you, you have to get him with the right t- stuff because like you got to get him to respond. Yeah. Um. Last question. So I'm going to do a quick run through and then we'll close. Um, a couple of questions that have come up throughout the podcast and I just want to get your quick answers. But um, if you were given 40 throws in the Dallas Cowboys offense, how many passes could you complete? 40 throws. Yep. Guaranteed. In the Dallas Cowboys offense. Yep. I'm talking if it's like the luckiest day of my life, like it's my birthday, the stars are lined up. Everything's perfect. Yep. Um, maybe one. I'm going between zero and one. I'm probably <laughs> leaning towards zero. If I'm being honest with you, I think I could throw like a like short screen to the fullback or Amari Cooper, but that is the extent <laughs> of it. I don't have the arm power to throw a slant route. I'm not throwing any deep ball, like. If somebody goes up and gets the ball and I can just throw it up in the air, like, I think I could throw it up to Calvin Johnson on a screen. <laughs> yeah. That's about the extent of my NFL capability. So you're on the reasonable side on that. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So who, in your opinion, is the worst pickup basketball player in our league and the best pickup basketball player in our league? The worst pickup basketball player in our league and the best. Man. You're hitting me with some hard questions here. I don't I don't know. Um I haven't played with you guys in so long. My analysis of the best is I remember Chris with like his gorilla arms going in and scoring his <laughs> um, yeah. I know Connor can knock down some threes. And you're a pretty good ball distributor, Alec. Thank you. Also, Drew, you're pretty good at distributing the ball um i'm trying to really think here i would probably so uh, just a refresher i think uh in the podcast where they were drafting people the people left out were victor tj who else he was cameron was left out you (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) And there was somebody else. I forget who it was. Kyle. Kyle. So, I'm going to say, gunned my head the best, and I haven't played with you guys in a while, was probably Chris or Alec. Um, the worst is Austin, for sure. <laughs> there's no... You're not a usage rate fan? No, he uh he shoots too much. I don't know. It's not my style of play. A little bit too much like James Harden, but the bad James Harden from the roster. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Austin's probably the worst. So let me <laughs> <laughs> he says with confidence. If you were com- okay, two more. Um, if you were a commissioner of the big league for one season, what would you do? Um, if I was commissioner for the big league, I would either get rid of. Well, these are voting issues. I don't know. Like, can I can I override a vote? Can I do like an executive? If you, order? you can do whatever you want. If you're the commissioner, you can do anything that you want to do. I would either find a way to increase the importance of the defense or get rid of it in general. Okay, so like. What do you right think about now that? it's just in this weird spot, but that if your defense randomly does something incredible, it's valuable. But outside of that, you just want a defense that consistently can get you a couple points a week. I actually kind of like that because I've been on the train of get rid of defense, get rid of kickers, and uh, it's gotten a little contentious with uh, with other guys in the league. I would. I'm a. I'm a traditionalist. I probably wouldn't really want to change anything. Like baseball changing's killing me inside. Like slowly, I'm dying an agonizing death because of it. Um, but if I had to change something, gun to my head, I would say that defense either has to be important or it has to not exist at this point. Okay, I like I like that. I like that. Um, last question: predictions for the big, the bad boys, or the undisclosed. New team name. What's the upcoming? Yeah, TBD. What's your predictions for your upcoming fantasy season? My prediction. I don't have very good uh, choice in the draft this year. I'm not going to get to pick my spot. I assume the early ones will be taken. I'm trying to be realistic. I think realistically, I think I'll finish fourth this year. I think that I have a good season ahead of me. I would love to sit here and tell you that I like know all the secrets and my Excel sheets have told me the way, but <laughs> I, um, I think I'm a fourth place finisher this year. I think I trended down last year. And so to average out <laughs> all about the law of averages, man, <laughs> that's like, that's like the, the motto for your team. Like, cause if you look at your finishes, if you look at just in general, just like, the law of averages, it all evens out. I need to get Chase Claypool and Henry Ruggs and Brandon Ayuk out of my head. Like, <laughs> I need to not think about them on draft night because I know good and well that I'm going to reach for Chase Claypool and I'm going to have to, like, calm myself down. Like, I'm going to have to, like, take a pill before. <laughs> like, <laughs> a cigarette right before my selection. <laughs> take a cigarette. <laughs> uh and then closing remarks, anything you want to leave the big league with uh, before we close the show? Um, I don't know where I stand, but I know my team's better than Downing, so I'll, I'll land there. That's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that being said, uh, this has been the big podcast. We will see you next time.